Welcome back to the History of Canada podcast. I'm your host, Zanir, and today we will be addressing a very interesting topic, which is Indigenous housing conditions. Often we get caught up with the great accomplishments of Canada, but today we will be discussing the dark truths about Canada. With us today are two special guests, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our two guests, Hamza and Ethan. Thanks for having us, Zanir. It's an honor to be here and share our knowledge on this tragic topic. The topic of Indigenous housing is going to be an interesting one, so sit back and enjoy. For our listeners today, I will be breaking down the schedule for our short but intriguing topic. First, we will be asking the students what they know about the topic of Indigenous housing so we could see what the youth of Canada know about this topic. Our first point will be on water and how its situation with indigenous people and how they have suffered with the conditions of water. It's frustrating to know because Canada is at the top of the world in water, yet indigenous people really struggle with it. The second point we'll be talking about is respiratory illness and how they occur in houses. Finally, we'll talk about the different areas where indigenous housing is located and how different areas may experience severe to no problems depending on where they are, like their geographic area. To conclude, we will talk about the action we need to take and what we can do to improve the living situations on the reserves. Before we get started, let's hear what our youth know about the topic of indigenous housing. how they're being severely mistreated, how they have been in the past, and the way things look right now, how they will continue to be mistreated in the future. Um, this issue is not a new issue. It's not an issue that's been getting more severe as of late. It's been a long-standing issue. Um, and I think that also speaks to the unwillingness and the lack of, lack of desire on part of the Canadian government to change their ways and really give these um, First Nations people um, better living conditions on the reserves. Um, Those were some good answers provided by our youth. Now let's take a closer look at what the housing conditions are like on reserves. There are so many issues we have to talk about, but one of the main issues is water. The water crisis on reserves has not been treated and it is an important one. I've seen some cases where natives who cannot take a shower without being exposed to various contaminants like E. coli. Take a moment and think about that. People in 2019 are unable to complete a basic human need of taking a bath without the worry of being infected with illnesses. On top of that, there are many other cases where lower income or financially struggling families on First Nation reserves feel the water crisis intensely and struggle with the cost of coping. 
I watched this clip about this family, and it was heartbreaking to see the mother, Crystal Swain, part of the Grass Narrows First Nations, was talking about how there are 133 adversary warnings that the water isn't safe to drink. The government regulates water quality for the rest of Canada, but has no binding regulations for the water on reserves. Many people on the reserves can't even take a simple shower because they're at risk of contamination, including coliform, E. coli, cancer-causing trihalomethanes, and uranium. The daily hardship of living under a water adversary for years means that some people become frustrated and drink it without boiling or otherwise treating it. This leads to exposure to contaminants. Others use tainted water for bathing or for household tasks, such as washing dishes or clothes. Some avoid the water at all costs, but do not have sufficient safe water to meet their daily needs. Something has to be done. We can't just stand by and watch. These are the conditions on the reserves. Wow, I never would have ever imagined that the conditions on the reserves were this poor. No one should ever have to deal or live in these conditions, no matter what the circumstances are. I agree with you, Hamza. The natives have been mistreated for so long and are not even provided with clean water. There must be something that has to be done to ensure that the native community has what it needs in order to survive. You know, we must also realize that the water crisis is not the only one on the reserves. There are so many other topics we need to discuss, but the water one is definitely one that we have to talk about. We must raise awareness of these issues so that the natives get the help they need. I think that we haven't done enough to help the people of Canada. We need to get the natives out of these poor conditions and give them all that they need in order to live. According to Statistics Canada, 73% of First Nations water systems are at high or medium risk of contamination. Think about that number for a second. This means 27% of First Nations water systems are drinkable, but not even fully purified. Why do you guys think this is? Well, to start off, I say this is because we fail to give any attention to our First Nation groups. We should start paying respect to the First Nations group and have some decency to help them out. To have 73% of contaminated water is just sad to hear. We have to act on this and do our part to provide better life for the people on the reserve. Hamza is right. We do not pay enough attention to those of the First Nations background and how they are living. They do not have enough water supplies as well as lack of funding from the government, which continues despite the known impact on the health and lifespan of the First Nations group. It's time to make all those land acknowledgements mean something. It's time to start living by the spirit of the treaties. Mutual respect, mutual protection, and mutual benefit. It's time to show a real sign of good faith and end the water crisis on reserves now. It's a matter of life and death for First Nations. I have no running water in here. I have no washroom. I'm only using instant record for electricity. I run inside to cook for my kids. And I give them a bath and run inside. Mostly back and forth. 
How long have you lived here? Two years. I was living with my in-laws. It was getting too crowded in there. But was this built for housing people? Uh, it was it was for the for the people for that had a park emergency backup sewage. Oh yeah. Housing conditions have played a huge part in the health and safety of First Nations and Aboriginal peoples. Due to the conditions of indigenous housing, many First Nations and Aboriginals have been diagnosed with respiratory illnesses. Due to inadequate roofing and ventilation, mold starts to develop on all wooden structures and furniture. As a result, they breathe in this toxic air causing various respiratory illnesses like pneumonia, bronchitis, asthma, influenza, and tuberculosis. What do you guys think about this information? First of all, I think that this is despicable because of the fact that we have already wronged them with taking them from their homes and trying to strip all traces of Aboriginal culture. A home is somewhere that people feel a sense of safety, belonging, and peace. Now they don't feel safe in their own homes, relating back to the fact that there is the development of mold. Adding on to what Hamza said, they never had an alternate place of living. They were born into this with not much choice and are stuck living in the most poor housing conditions and lack the basic essentials we need to live. I would like to share some eye-opening statistics. The following statistics are based off of the census conducted in 2006. Most of the responses that were recorded were, no, only regular maintenance is required, yes, only minor repairs need to be conducted, and lastly, yes, major repairs are needed to be conducted. According to the responses of the census, 40% of First Nations in Canada live in either overcrowded houses or in houses that require a lot of maintenance. Of the maintenance responses, 40% of First Nations live in houses that require major repairs, compared to the non-Aboriginal percent of 7. Next is the crowded housing, which is defined as more than one person living in one room of the house. 22% of First Nations live like this, which can be compared to the low of 3% for non-Aboriginals. Due to these housing repairs, the illnesses develop and become so severe that it requires the individuals or families to be evacuated from their house and taken to hospitals that are not on the reserves. The two major causes of hospitalization are respiratory tract infection and severe asthma. These two illnesses are known as the most responsible diagnosis, according to hospital records. There are 1,700 living on the reserve. As a result of a rapidly growing population and years of inadequate housing, there are approximately 1,000 people in need of a home. They end up living in tents or sheds without electricity or running water or in overcrowded conditions with relatives. In many cases, 20 to 30 people living in one small family home. Wow, these are some really interesting statistics. 
It just blows my mind to see that the numbers for both statistics are about 5 to 7 times more than those of the non-Aboriginal people. The audio recording was a great glimpse into the consequences for poor quality of housing. Not only does it justify that they are not getting what they deserve, but this is basically our history repeating itself. Like I had mentioned earlier, the illnesses were caused by overcrowding, major repairs that needed to be conducted, need for better ventilation, and an increase in poverty due to the decrease in income. These illnesses are a wide variety and they include depression, suicide, non-intentional trauma, childhood obesity, and diabetes. However, these are not the respiratory illnesses. Respiratory illnesses is one of the conditions whose occurrence rate has surprisingly increased dramatically over the years. The worst part about all of this is that there aren't any reports on the topic of management or control over these respiratory illnesses amongst children and youth of Aboriginal background. Now, for some mind-blowing facts. Out of every 1,000 infants, 484 of them within the first year of life attained these illnesses compared to 27 per 1,000 in places like Canada and United States. Inuit infants have unusually severe respiratory viruses, with 12% of infants having to be admitted in the regional hospital, and some of these infants have to get air transport to hospitals in southern Canada. These infants experience these viruses repeatedly over the course of a single season, which is unusual in their places. These facts are really mind-blowing and very sad. Just imagine if one of those infants was you and you had to experience the flu or bronchitis or pneumonia more than three times per season. Obviously, no one wants to experience this, but these kids do not have a choice because the condition of their houses don't allow for a fast recovery, nor do they allow for a healthy place to be. This all occurs because of the fact that the government is not attempting to do as much as they should be doing, which results in the suffering of both infants and adults. Finally, we'll be talking about the geographic area and how that correlates to the bad housing in Canada. For example, would the housing be worse in Yukon compared to Ontario, for example? According to Statistics Canada, in 2016, most people who suffered from a dwelling house in need of repairs, the majority, 72.8% of the Inuit population lived in Inuit Nunagut in 2016. The proportion who lived in Inuit Nunagut were significantly more likely to live in a dwelling that was in need of major repairs than those who lived outside Inuit Nunagut, 31.5% versus 12.2%. This really shows us the situation of Nunavut compared to the rest of Canada. Nunagat is the northern part of Canada, north of Hudson Bay, and parts of actual Nunavut. This shows us that really, the more north it is, the worse the conditions are. The temperatures are worse, causing worse conditions to the house like respiratory that causes respiratory illness. The people of Inuit struggle across the north areas of the Hudson Bay. It's true that when I think about the Inuit people, I imagine them much more north. 
struggling with the worst conditions compared to the Maritimes and South Ontario, which enjoy much better weather throughout the year. It's crazy to think we reduce them to the north and don't give them the right resources to survive equally. They were the ones who found the land, and yet due to bad resources and unconscious ability to know or care what's happening to them, it's up to us to make the difference. I believe this is very, very terrible. Think about it. The people who commit crimes, such as murder, rape, and other terrible crimes, have better living areas than you and other aboriginals. Even though they are in prison, they're more healthy and better off in a cell than a place that has terrible water and mold growing throughout the house. Another stat, more than 6 in 10, 62.6% Métis live in a metropolitan area of at least 30,000 people. Within these area, the proportion of maids who live in a dwelling that need major repairs was 9.7%. This was lower than the proportion of people who did not live in a metropolitan area of this size, 13.9%. This sh stat shows us that the people around the city are less likely to be in bad housing. What do you guys think? There are two things I'd like to say. Great job to Canada for taking care of people near our big cities and other metropolitan areas. Job well done and shows a testament that we can really do this. Also, we need to reach out to the people who don't live close to us so that we can provide and aid in any way possible. I agree with you, Zanir. We need to reach out to those in the reserves and bring the living essentials they need. Imagine how they're feeling being mistreated and living in such poor housing conditions. No one deserves to be living like that. We must do whatever we can to help our fellow people of Canada. To conclude our podcast today, I'll begin by sharing a quote by the Toronto Star. Despite the federal government's many efforts to implement our recommendations and improve its First Nations programs, we have seen a lack of progress in improving the lives and well-being of people living on reserves. Services available on reserves are often not comparable to those provided off-reserve by provinces and municipalities. Conditions on reserves have remained poor, says the report. Do you think that the government is able to make changes or it's up to us? What do you guys think? Honestly, I think it's up to us and the fact that we have to take matters into our own hands. We as individuals must do everything in our power to get the message out there in order for any change to happen. We must treat the founders of our land with respect and help them to any extent. I think we should set up a fundraiser. With the help of people donating, we could raise enough money to be able to help the First Nations and Aboriginal people repair and build their houses. Not only can this fundraiser be held in one province, we could spread this idea to all the provinces and the money that they raise will be used to improve the quality of life amongst the First Nation and Aboriginals. This fundraiser will be held on June 8th at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre where people will have a chance of fixing the dark history of Canada. Even though we uh, tell the government that we're underfunded, it's just like talking to deaf ears, it goes one year and it goes out the other way. They don't seem to hear us. Material is very expensive when you ship it up here.
a lot of the funds go towards uh, freight. Freight costs very expensive. It takes a chunk of our funding. And the funding that's been given to us by the Indian University doesn't increase at all. So as a result, we are into uh, the visit. I do think it's up to us. If the government would have taken action, they would have. And truthfully, they don't have the money to help. Do we raise taxes? Then we have angry taxpayers. I believe this really gives us a chance to right the wrong of Canada and come together and help, whether that be raising money or helping repairs to even build new houses. I think we need to care more for the people of our own country. Someone needs to take action and do something about these issues that have not been resolved for years. Based on what they've done, I think there is much room for improvement in order to make our country better and to serve the people in it. Hope you enjoyed this special edition of History of Canada. Tune in next time to find out what topic we address.